0: Because I want to start the episode by saying that I went to the shelves today to pull some of the books that I wanted to discuss. Yeah, and one of them wasn't there. Which was? It was titled "Season of the Witch." <laughs> oh. Hey. How hey. the? Uh, help me out with the rest of that subtitle oh, there.
1: Um, How the occult saved rock and roll.
0: Mm-hmm. By S- Peter.
1: Peter Burbegal
0: excellent book an excellent book folks welcome to the podcast it's a little too quiet it's the ferndale library podcast and it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library my name is jeff and you heard liz
2: hi
0: and i think you heard pietro hi if you didn't and then drew's here too hello and we're talking about books wait pietro what are we talking about that rock books that rock (laughs) so we're talking about the music books and we'll get back to season the witch in a second uh pietro you you had the idea for this podcast Explain yourself.
3: So, Jeff, um, growing up, I watched a lot of TV. Too much TV, might some say. It's right there with you. I think what's burned into my head is VH1 Movies That Rock. Oh, yeah. So when we started doing this nonfiction we love series, I was thinking about, I think, I don't know if it was entirely serious when I brought it up or if I was just trying to make myself giggle or you giggle. And I was like, Ferndale Library presents books that rock.
0: Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) BH1-centric humor will always make me laugh. (laughs) Uh, Any pitch centered around that nostalgic tidbit will always result in a podcast episode. And then I reached out to Drew and Liz. Drew and Liz are here. You are readers of music books. That's your bona fides. (laughs)
2: Indeed. People
0: who have read music
1: books. (laughs) (laughs) One may say we are, in fact. readers (laughs) uh did
0: either of you watch vh1 watch music films watch music documentaries etc
1: oh yeah vh1 you know back in the day when mtv actually did show certain music (laughs) aspects not so much anymore but yeah yeah long long ago
3: (laughs) i remember watching crybaby Grease, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That that was my first introduction to all those Oh, yeah. Spinal Tap, Airheads.
1: Sweeney Todd was the big one (laughs) with Angela Lansbury. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That sounds magical. That's a movie that rocks. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. So (laughs) good.
0: Uh, And so the idea was we were going to bring some of our favorite books. And the other angle to that is that uh, Pietro is the
3: collection developer of the music section. That's true, the 700s.
0: When it comes to the Dewey Decimal System.
3: Correct. So in this case, the sweet spot, for me at least, for books that rock, is seven eight one, seven eight two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the other area um, that falls in the 780s is more like musical instruction or books of guitars, um, books about drumming or like the history of music, regional music and stuff like that.
0: Do CDs get assigned a call number? I mean a Dewey call they, number? They they do. It's not okay. the way that we
3: file them, but yes.
0: They're not in the 780s? I bel-
3: I think they are. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Cuz otherwise it's chaos. <laughs> uh
0: all right, so let's just get started. Uh, uh you go first, Pietro.
3: Uh, why don't we talk more about season? Of the okay, 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 okay. Yeah, that's right. We did tease <laughs> I it. I have did. to admit that I had that on my staff pick shelf, and I have never read it. I oh, thought so the title good. was cool, and mm-hmm. it looked cool, um, so it has caught my eye since I first seen it. I believe the cover art has Bowie with an eye patch on it.
1: It it does have Bowie with the eye patch on so excellent yeah the only reason I came about it is because the author has several other like uh, supernatural paranormal titles and that's kind of how I got into it and I saw that in his little blurb he's like hey yeah season Mm. of the witch I'm like that sounds amazing. Give give me that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so far, it is just a wonderful deep dive into how connected rock and roll has become with occult and like supernatural paranormal yeah. themes, and it's so good.
0: Excellent. Let me see it, folks. Can't see me leafing through here.
3: <laughs> I'm trying to picture what album or era of Bowie is. Eye patch Bowie. I think Bowie is, is... That pinups. Yeah, I think maybe. His hair was really red, I think, at that point. this looks close to the Ziggy era. Mm -hmm.
1: He's got a little bit of the longer hair. Yeah, but yeah, I haven't quite got to that point yet. But
3: yeah, I would imagine it delves into the whole Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil as the jumping off. Well, there's probably a lot more before that too.
1: Yeah, it kind of starts off with you know the blues and you know the whole idea of selling your soul to a crossroads demon Mm -hmm. to be able to like have the ability to really sing or play the guitar, or, you know, whatever aspect that you're trying to get out of your stardom to really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really cool. Nice. Can
0: I see it again? It, it... <laughs> of course you and my pic- My question,
3: are there pictures?
1: There are. S- I don't remember <clears throat> if I saw any. I don't think
3: so. There are no pictures, Pietro. Hmm. I so apologize. Sorry. <laughs> that's one of my qualifications for books that rock. Is that like there to be some pictures included? I do like yeah. some pictures.
4: All of my picks have excellent. All, all of my picks have excellent picks. <laughs> layers. Nice. Haha. Oh,
0: okay. So that's Ozzy Osbourne on the cover, and I want to say maybe Mark Boland from T Rex, but just because he wore eyeliner doesn't mean he was in the cult. <laughs> So, I
1: didn't know eyeliner was like a prerequisite for cult. I mean, you know. I like <laughs> it. I like it.
3: Okay, Pietro, now we're going to start with you. Okay. So for me, one of the big sweet spots of the music books that rock are oral histories. Okay, sure. Mm. So what I think served as a big catalyst for that movement, which is now... Pretty all encompassing. There's a lot of genres and uh, time frames that have been covered with oral histories, rightfully so, because it's a really kind of fun and conversational way to bring people in. And I think that's oftentimes what you want as a reader is to feel like someone's directly talking to you, that sort of intimacy.
0: Oh, indeed. Yes. With, that happens on page one, line one of the book that <laughs> Pietra's about so, to reference.
3: Yes. Number one for me is Please Kill Me, the uncensored oral history of punk. Ooh. Um, Legs McNeil and Jillian McCain. Mm-hmm. So Legs McNeil among probably 25 other people claims to have um, originated the term punk um, as it relates to the musical movement of the mid to late 70s and this book does a really excellent job. Um, something that stuck with me because I haven't read it in like 10 years but what I remember liking about it and when I revisited has held up as how they do a really good job of chronologically placing how punk came to be Mm -hmm. and how no movement really exists in a vacuum. So they talk about the predecessors in terms of like Andy Warhol and the factory scene. They talk about the different poetry and theater movements that all fed into what became punk Mm -hmm. and the Lower East Side in New York in the mid seventies. So it's really cool. Um, And really raunchy and uh, yeah, kind of like all the things you want to check the boxes of an oral history book on rock.
0: Yes, that's a surprising (laughs) book. When I first picked it up, I thought, given what I knew about Legs McNeil at the time, is that, oh, is this just going to be a CBGB's book? Is this just going to be a New York book? But it it winds up surprising you and it does get a full
3: scope there. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will go. And there's good pictures too, hey. <laughs> like uh, like David Bowie and Patti Smith and like William S. Burroughs all, oh, cool. yeah, smoking cigarettes <laughs> or, yeah, sure, being uh, cheeky. <laughs>
2: I'll
0: go next because this is sort of CBGB's related. It is uh, I consider it a book that rocks. It's M Train, which oh, is sweet, a quasi recent biography by Patti Smith,
2: oh,
0: a fixture of the CBGB's scene with Patti Smith Smith Group. Uh, And I, this book I I love, she got a lot of acclaim, rightly so, for just kids about her time in the 70s with Robert Mablethorpe. This is later, and it is very much about being on the other side of 50. It's more ruminative. It's a little lyrical. It's a little, it's a little detached. It's a little Mm. all over. It's a little stream of conscious, and... If you want to live in anyone's head, I kind of want to live in Patty Smith's head. <laughs> For uh, sure, and it's very intimate, and uh, I think that you know, uh, just kids wins the National Book Award. M Train everyone pretty much said this is also great, but I think I wanted to get as much acclaim as just just kids. So that's my For first sure. of of fifty picks that I have to go through. <laughs> How about you, Drew? My quick question: Does M Train have beautiful, amazing photographs? m train has a few photographs that are beautiful and amazing okay. uh scattered throughout yeah because she's a, a multifaceted artist of course nice. she's going to have some of her photography in here yeah that
1: makes
4: sense that makes sense because just kids has the yeah. most amazing visual yes any any uh, mu- musician biography of course when you oh, talking I love about that. her patties You're not talking about just a musician. You're talking about a poet, a visual Mm. artist, a comprehensive brain inspired by everything and capable of taking um, poetry and culture and combining it in new and exciting ways. Yes. Anyways. Well, I mean, on the cover,
0: next to our coffee is a camera. So there you go. Yeah.
4: yeah, So I developed the biographies. Um, So I'm going to be talking about biographies and memoirs. And you know when you think about musicians biographies and memoirs, they come in different categories. Um, so, but drawing on uh, the commentary about the world, providing context for everything, the big broad, this is this is sort of a thesis of of art type book um, that is kind of less biography and more cultural commentary. But you happen to get the artist's whole life in it. Uh, I really like. Um, Questlove's 2013 book um, *Mo Meta Blues*: The World According to Questlove, um, and the title is kind of a riff on Spike Lee's jazz film mm-hmm. *Mo Better Blues*. Right. And you do get the wonderful story of this little this person who starts out as the child of of two musicians his dad's a doo-wop singer and his mom's a backup singer dancer he grows up on tour with them he's in love with percussion from the beginning you get amazing photographs of this three-year-old boy who still looks exactly like Questlove, (laughs) even though he's a tiny person he just stays the same sort of version of himself the whole way through but you also get a ton of cultural analysis and musical commentary and also like a lot about technique. And that's why this is kind of a, a meta memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have somebody who's listed as his co-author, which is Ben Greenman, Greenman who is um, his editor and his agent. But mostly what you get is notes from his agent complaining about things and <laughs> <questions> <laughs> responding in part about why these complaints are invalid. Um, he like likes to talk about, um, television and film and how early, how early roots music feeds into contemporary hip hop. Mm -hmm. He, you know, whenever you read a book by a musician, you oftentimes are able to write down, oh, I want to go look, listen to this or listen to this. But with Questlove, you also write down, and I also need to find the YouTube video where Stevie Wonder is on the Cosby show and I need to find, (laughs) you know, this film clip. So he's, he's just so comprehensive. And when I finished um, his book, it made me go back through my own um, record collection and think about why I liked what I liked um, because he is so good at identifying um, kind of emotional uh, resonance. Like why does percussion from this period of soul music tie into gospel and create religious feelings and what is ostensibly, a, what is a pop soul release. Mm-hmm. He gives depth to all of the music he talks about in addition to talking about his amazing life as somebody who found um, his, his main bandmate, uh, Black Thought in high school and just grew and grew and grew from there. Um, yeah, it's it's very intense and so much more than just a memoir. Mm-hmm.
0: Pietro, do, do you think you're enthusiastic about music? Yes. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet till you read Questlove's book. The, <laughs> the
3: yeah, in, screw what I the got to say about fandom, it. fandom,
0: <laughs> the pure fandom and appreciation yeah. and enthusiasm that he has for all these, these genres of music is especially what, what I love about that book, too. Yeah. He, as uh, the phrase go, nerds out and it's very charming
3: and the cover of that book is it's very colorful right oh, and yeah. it's, it looked like it was an homage to is it like it's one of the bob dylan greatest hits collections has that same yep colorful image mm-hmm. so the meta has many different threads <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> throughout that but that's really i like that he includes notes from the editor and the, the co-author and then <laughs> telling him why he's wrong
1: <laughs> i'm gonna have to add that to my to read list that does sound yes. really
3: really yeah. good I, so, I watched that Summer of Soul documentary yes. not that long ago too. So that was a cool entry point into seeing Questlove's non, um, more straightforward musical output. That's
2: really
0: cool. We began this podcast episode with me saying that I started this morning going to the shelf looking for a book that I wanted to talk about <laughs> today. <laughs> and there was another book that I couldn't find today. And apparently it's Pietro's second book.
3: Meet yes. Me in the Bathroom? Meet Me in the Bathroom. So that's... This is sort of like the progeny of Please Kill Me. I guess you could argue that. Mm-hmm. As New York City was starting to become less of a, like a nexus point for rock. <laughs> right. Um, there was this, as the the title implies, Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011. It discusses that movement. And I guess what really differentiates that is that was when like the internet and bloggers and tastemakers were becoming influential in that sense Mm -hmm. um and i also just think it's a cool pick because so often with oral histories or rock bios things about movements it's like the 60s the Mm -hmm. 70s wasn't it so cool don't you wish you went to woodstock or like Mm -hmm. you don't know what you missed so as somebody who was like a young teenager in that era It's kind of, um, it feels nice to see that being highlighted. And now we're getting growing nostalgia for the Y2K era too. So it kind of hits a sweet spot for that. Right. Strokes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yes. Yep. Interpol. (laughs) Liars. (laughs) LCD sound system.
3: Oh, yeah. Yep. And... TV on the radio. TV on the radio. Moldy Peaches. Moldy Peaches. Mm -hmm. The French Kicks. Um, Did you already say the Walkman? Not yet. Okay. Um, Yeah. And there's like... You sort of get the White Stripes by proxy Mm because they're not a uh, a New York band, obviously. But there's pictures of Julian Casablanca's teaching Jack White how to play New York City Cops. And there's a picture of Meg White talking to some member of the Strokes whose name I don't remember. Okay, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, again, I have to cop to the fact that I haven't read this book. It's been on my to-read list for like the last seven years. And I'm sure that I will love it when I do finally read it. And this is yet another... Book that has been turned into a documentary. Mm-hmm. Have has anyone in this room seen it? Not yet. No, I'm going to have to though because I am not
0: fully sure how available it is. I knew it was making the yeah. festival circuit.
3: Mm. I don't. My cousin watched it. I don't recall the avenue he pursued in order to do that, but his reviews were
2: <laughs> not wow. very good. That's kind of
3: disappointing. Shout out the author. We didn't mention the author. Good call. It is Lizzie Goodman who was, I think. From the author bio says like she had hangovers with the people in these bands, <laughs> so she's credible. But that's true. I shouldn't say that like dismissively because like you, with books like this, Legs McNeil, Lizzie Goodman, you want to have that insider like sort of authority of oh, yeah. somebody that yeah. was there and in the bathrooms or puking in the alleys, etc. Where the magic happens. Uh. <laughs> uh
0: lizzie come on the podcast and send us a copy of the documentary so we can circulate it Yeah, we're a yes. cool library uh liz did you have any other books that you wanted to talk about top i your have head?
1: been reading gosh i was reading a couple i am in the middle of dave grohl's oh, new cool. book really oh, enjoying that storyteller one. yeah really really enjoying that one um and then i have a couple at home that i've been trying to get through that we didn't have personally in the collection we should mm-hmm. they're great um the one is basically a biography of this swedish um they started off as a death metal band called opeth nice <laughs> and it's been really really interesting to see how they got started and how things have progressed and all of the huge names that they worked with in like the progressive scene like um they just announced too that they're going to be doing an album with um a member from Jethro Tull, and I'm like, that's amazing! Like to go from you know yeah. this crazy metal scene yeah. into working with like some of the most like insane names from '70s progressive rock is so cool. Well, I feel
3: like metal musicians are notoriously the most like technically proficient. Oh yeah, and they can do things that are insane.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: I did have a question for you about the Dave Grohl book. Yeah, I yeah. noticed how it was formatted in a not like straightforward memoir right. way or something like that, and I was wondering if you felt that. It was effective or it, it works well or
1: I think it does. Mm-hmm. I, I think it does. I mean, I don't know how much of it is just he can get away with it or the person I think he has a, someone working on that with him if I remember sure. correctly. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I think it was very effective to kind of get the story across story. Yeah, you know.
3: I do have to wonder how many times, even if it's not listed, that mm-hmm. there's like a co author, ghostwriter right. in situations like this. Because not everybody's Patty Smith. <laughs> right, right. Uh,
0: I just have to say with my next pick, uh, I feel like we've been living in New York for a little while. <laughs> Why don't we just complete the trifecta with Love Goes to Buildings on Fire nice. hey. by Bill Hermes.
1: Ooh.
0: Five years in New York that changed music forever, and that's basically roughly 72-ish to 77-ish Ooh. with the arrival of the New York Dolls who are considered close to as important as the stooges as far as inventing punk sure uh and release well at least more than anything else kicking off the glam rock era yes with david johansson and as you can see from this charming uh we'll put artwork in the show notes this charming illustration like there's the a lot of curious characters bouncing around the city uh so I, I pick up Please Kill Me Thinking, oh, there's going to be a CBGB story. This is more of the CBGB story. Straightforward. So, from Will Hermes, of Rolling Stone critic at the time and still writing about music. Moving past that, because we've talked about New York enough. <laughs> I I'll, am curious about the illustrator. And I'll formally yeah. talk
1: about... Oh, yeah. It gives me Detroit and, Rock City vibes, the cover that's even Oh, yeah. 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 I'm wondering if
3: it's a well-known, like someone whose name I'd recognize, because that's such an eye-catching cover. Yeah. Yeah, or possibly... Uh, rock and roll high school kind of energy. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. We will shout out that illustrator, I promise you. (laughs) Okay, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, Jeff. In the show notes. No, the uh, library lingo, the Verso
3: page, frankly, should note it, and it does not. Sometimes it'll say it on the jacket, the front or back.
0: No, it it does Mm. not. Well, shame shame on them. Oh, Mark Allen. Mark Allen. Mark, I promise you I'm gonna try my best here. (laughs) Stamati. I'm going to say Stamati.
3: Okay. Sure.
0: Enough New York. Uh, Let's go over to Minneapolis uh, for Trouble Voice, The True Story of the Replacements by Bob Mayer. A epic book. Well,
1: no. Okay.
0: 430 pages. Feels feels huge. Feels thick. Uh, Covering just the 10-year hectic, frenetic, wild, spastic, unhinged history of still one of the most unsung indie rock bands of all time. I think they're, they're the kind of band that a lot of people say is the band's band. Mm -hmm. The people who do have guitars in their basement like this band a lot (laughs) because they were the real deal, man. And they were also very self-destructive. Uh, don't do this at home. Um, (laughs) they were, I mean, I say this loving the band, but they were pretty much drunk for every show they ever played. Uh, (laughs) That's not to say that their albums didn't wind up turning out to be amazing still. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And that uh, Paul Westerberg is still a great songwriter. The book is well bookended. I I don't want to, that's not a pun and I don't want to spoil it. If you don't know the history of the replacements, which is quasi tragic, but I think the book is structured nicely as far as starting in 95, then jumping back in time, kind of like a, a music biopic movie would do. Right. Then flashing back to the being of the band, and then bringing you back up to that tragedy, and then giving you a nice ending of where are they all now?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I loved it. I really, really loved it. And I think it's it's got a James Patterson style of like three page chapters. Uh, and if that is know. if that is good for you as a reader for your pacing, then yeah. you're gonna they're, you're gonna eat it up in one sitting. So. The replacements,
3: Trouble Boys. Do you get much about the Minneapolis scene in the book? Yeah, no, you do get a good point. You do get a good bit of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. And their notorious time on SNL, where they wound up becoming (laughs) one of only two bands to be completely banned from ever coming back.
3: (laughs) Who was the other one? Do you know?
0: I believe it was Fear from LA. Ah. Yeah.
3: I think that, yeah, that is a notorious one. I wonder if that exists on YouTube. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, Drew, what's up next?
4: Okay, so I have one that is really, really epic, which is Keith Richards' Life from 2010. Oh, wow. That is Very, epic. Yeah. yeah, and so if, if you need, and it is available as an audiobook, and I can't remember oh, how long wow. it is, but I remember taking a sharp, sharp inhale when I saw the length of it and going, road trip. <laughs>
3: does, he, does he read it? No. Okay.
1: Oh, bummer. No. He does
4: not. I'm sure it would be amazing if he did. <laughs> so um, I really love this as... This is a comprehensive look at what pharmaceutical-grade cocaine plus heroin <laughs> yep. plus really hating Mick Jagger can do for you. <laughs> man. Um, wow. So it starts out with a charming boyhood where he's smuggling whiskey to the Boy Scouts um, and moves on through uh, meeting Mick Jagger and starting out as, as people who are very, very simpatico and gain so much renown while at the same time being constantly arrested for drugs, and constantly <laughs> getting into fights, and he he tells the, he tells his own tale without any like any added bravado or any self pity. Yeah, it's mm. just he's not bragging, mm-hmm. and he's not trying to explain. He's just saying, "Wasn't that insane?" And then I did it again. <laughs> it goes on like this for so long, and I my, my favorite part is just watching him his ever-growing disdain for Jagger, who he begins referring to as Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he just intentionally steals his woman, oh, you know, boy. like, undermines him in all these different ways. And yet, they continue to crank out so much great music. Um, there's a lot of scenes in the bathroom. There's a good amount of vomit, a fair amount of fecal matter, some crazy ideas about actually dehydrating and selling poop for, to people because people will buy anything if you're famous enough. They will. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> From 1947 to 2010, and this guy's still here. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really enjoyable, and when you pick it up, it, it is a tome, and you will get yeah. deeply, deeply absorbed in it.
0: I have to say a few bullet points is that apparently he was digging it at Mick so badly that Mick uh, impulsively wrote his own biography in a hurry and put it out and it's only about 200 pages and <laughs> it didn't get as good reviews and it did feel like you just had to like <laughs> did I he, have I have to say right. something did he get it out like before no he got okay. it right oh, right okay. out after
3: uh, uh, typed it up real yeah, quick yeah I mean no one's talking about that
0: something. book <laughs> Fun story. I don't know where, when else I'll share this with you or with our listeners. But another book I was going to have, but it's not in Library Network, is called The Dark Stuff, and it is a collection of music criticism and essays by a gentleman named Nick Kent. Mm. Okay. Nick Kent's claim to fame is that he was never in the sui- uh, never in the Sex Pistols. <laughs> like that's what he's most famous for. He was uh-huh. a writer for NME, hanging around in 1975. Sort of trying to join the Sex Pistols, but was never cool enough. And objectively, he, he just wasn't. But he was a damn good writer, and he yeah. wrote great uh, criticism and, and, and did lots of interviews. And he interviewed Keith once. And he got a story of, uh, in that really cloudier period, Drew, like between 72 and 82, when like Keith is at his most bottom, <laughs> of their on tour... And the way he describes it is the Rolling Stones have their van and they're driving up a steep hill. And in the back of the van, Keith is asleep on top of a large amp. (laughs) One of those amps that are so large that they are in fact, moving, movable on wheels Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and enough to like fit a man asleep on top of it. And it's late at night, they're driving up a hill. The amp slides off, bursts out of the back of the van doors. And now this amp with Keith still on it is now rolling down the hill at about <laughs> 22 miles an hour. Okay. And it deposits somewhere at the bottom. And at no point does he fall off nor wake up.
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Uh, that tracks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think also he seemed to be kind of from a similar uh, part of town. Town, I say. <laughs> in somewhere in England of, like, maybe, like, Black Sabbath, he seemed to have, like, this kind of real industrial, post-war, mm-hmm. not-so-good, real rough blue-collar upbringing. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I found it really endearing.
4: Yeah. He, he also has, like, fairly decent emotional moments. He talks about yeah. the death of his infant son. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, he, and he talks about his relationship with his with his firstborn son, Marlon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and then when he ends up... Um, after he he leaves one of his stolen women, Anita, and, and finds his, his next wife, like you can see that he's like he's capable of growth and change. <laughs> and yet at the same time still doing ridiculous things.
3: Right. Yeah.
4: So he remains true to himself, mm-hmm. but it is not just all stunt.
0: A legend.
3: He has sort of like a mischievous kid right. grin to him. Yeah. Yep. I remember I, I don't recall where I obtained this information, but that Keith befriended mick because like he had the good record collection (laughs) and was like he had the stuff that he couldn't afford to get so that was part of the friendship
0: every time the rolling stones come on television and this i mean i say this as a fan all due respect right um they should come on television all the time because they're great every time they do uh and i'm in the room with my dad he always says man look at keith ridges he's not burned out he's extra crispy (laughs) i'm like yeah that's about right
2: yeah (laughs)
3: The question though is my first thought when i remember seeing that enormous book was like okay this guy's been on coke and heroin for mm-hmm. the last eight thousand years and right. he has a crystal clear memory about all this stuff but everything i've heard about it is like yeah yeah i somehow. guess he does
2: things
4: are very detailed yeah. And, he, yeah and he points out the book has to be very long because for a large chunk of my life i only slept every third day
3: yeah wow. <laughs>
1: that's wow.
3: right that's right what is your next book pietro <laughs> just one more thing about keith oh sure (laughs) underrated song for me off of the some girls album before they make me run supposedly they were waiting around for mick to show up and it was taking several hours and they recorded that song but he doesn't have a great voice but to me it really works on that song Mm and i don't know i think about it all the time nice (laughs) nice completely unrelated to keith richards yeah um a pick that I borrowed from Drew's marvelous uh, biography section came out in 2022. Um, the author is Dan Charnas and the book is Dilla time. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Jay Dilla is the king. Jay Dilla is the king. It was recently his birthday, February 7th, uh, affectionately known as Dilla day. Mm -hmm. And Dan Charnas is a really talented writer. I think we might've talked about this when we were talking about, um, different nonfiction collections that we collect for is I think it's really hard and requires a certain skill set to write biography Mm -hmm. because it is so easy to get caught in like they did this Mm. with this person in this year at this place and it can feel like a Wikipedia article and it doesn't connect and it isn't engaging and it just like kind of goes in one ear and out the other ear Right. So I was really impressed with Dan Charnas in this book, and I got to see him uh, give a talk at the main branch of the Detroit Public Library when he was promoting the book. And he again has that sort of insider status, like he had been in Jay Dilla's basement, mm-hmm. uh, where he he lived in Koenig Gardens uh, with the, with his mother, and that was where he made all these hits for Common, and The Far Side, and Erykah Badu. And the thing that's really impressive about this book and that. Um, I think is notable about it because I haven't really encountered something like that before is that it has like this sort of trifold structure where he's talking about like the evolution of, uh, like musicology and music theory and the, the progression, like of music in a way that's actually pretty accessible. Cause there's a lot of helpful visual aids. Mm-hmm. Then you're getting the more straight biography elements talking about Jay Dilla and the way that his career progressed along with the evolution of hip hop and like the different uh, like samplers and stuff that have been used through the years and it all gets really seamlessly woven together in a way that's super impressive and it's a it's a longer book mm-hmm. let's see it clocks in at 458 pages though there is a big index and there is i think the most comprehensive discography of his career to date in the back as well so that's really cool like we were talking about how as you're reading books like this you kind of like uh earmark songs you want to listen to or albums you want to look up so having that in the back as a reference point was really helpful as well nice so it's a really amazing book and i think it's he's a really important artist whose stature is only continuing to grow since his death unfortunately Mm. uh due to a complication from lupus in 2006 at age 32 Mm -hmm. which is really wild to think about the impact he had both living and now continues Mm. to have yeah liz do you have any other books on your mind
1: oh i was reading um starman which was really really good it's um kind of how you know David Bowie and the influences of the various sci-fi that was going on at the time. Because, I mean, if you look at that time period in, like, the 70s, you had, like, Star Wars, Star Trek, Mm -hmm. and you kind of had this movement of these bands taking on, well, it may not be the most popular thing, but we think it's really, really interesting to kind of incorporate that into our music. And that one has been really good. That one I recently started and I've really been enjoying.
0: Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) Like.
0: Prog rock was happening. Yeah. Boston.
1: Oh yeah. I mean you had ELO oh, happening. Yeah, even like, like
3: Parliament Funkadelic and the right, spaceship. Right. Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I think it was ELO that had like if you got yeah. the one gatefold, it had like the little starship you could put together and oh, it was really cool. What's that
0: album called? We'll look it up. <laughs> yeah. Is that one a graphic novel, Starman you're talking about?
1: Um no, it's actually it's um Oh, I wish I had it. I That's okay. I just did. No, it's it's um, it was out of the biographies. Nice. Yeah, because it was hard to choose like which Bowie I wanted to read. Yeah. Yeah. I was feeling really nostalgic because uh, they had the anniversary of Black that long Aww. ago, and I'm like, oh, sad. What an you know, amazing
0: but-
1: album it is an amazing album the fact that he could crank that out when he knew that the end was coming and yet produce something so amazing and so heartfelt and the fact he was like oh no i'm gonna beat this and i'm gonna you know continue Mm -hmm. because from what i remember reading he had plans to continue and to do a whole nother album which is absolutely amazing yeah but
3: that's
0: giving me goosebumps i
1: know I know I really really miss David though. Yeah.
0: Out of the Blue is the name of the album by Electric Light yep. Orchestra. Yeah. Double LP.
1: Yeah. So good.
0: That album has amazing artwork. It uh, does. Shout out to music books in general that tend to just have great artwork. Oh, yes. yes. Even like this one that I'm holding right now, which is called Out of the Vinyl Deeps. They're so good. Oh, cool. By Ellen Willis, mm-hmm. who was hired in 1968 by The New Yorker to be their music critic. And it was kind of a first. In Hmm. fact, it was to actually have a female rock critic in a male dominated um, field. I can't call it an industry, but basically it was, you know, Jan Wenner and a bunch of dudes and um, Lester Bangs and all this kind of like machismo, right? And here in comes this strong proponent of second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. She is like uh, Gloria Steinem, but a rock and roll version. (laughs) <laughs> writing about pop culture and rock music. It says Ellen Willis on rock music. She is hired in 68. She's only 27. Mm-hmm. She only lives to maybe, maybe 65. She passes away in 06. Mm-hmm. And I believe this collection of her awesome, awesome writing between 68 to 75-ish uh, was released in 2010, I think. Oh, that's cool. I loved this stuff as an aspiring music journalist. I was collecting books on music essays and critics uh and critical reviews and interviews mm-hmm. for so so long and that leaves me sort of as a side shout out because i was like oh is that i guess that's technically accurate this is great writing from ellen willis
2: mm-hmm.
0: belatedly she has passed by the time it's published which is why when jessica hopper of pitchfork
2: mm.
0: puts out a book called the first collection of criticism by a living female yes. rock critic. <laughs> it's
2: that-
0: actually accurate because she just got her still alive and was alive actually to see her own book of writing get published. Mm. And that's a book we own. It's checked out though. not it? it is checked out. I would have brought it to the table. <laughs> yep, I figured. Uh, I think it was probably released in 2014 or 2015. Uh, I like Pietro uh, was Right there, uh, reading Pitchfork and stuff when mm-hmm. the Strokes were really huge, and I remember reading her stuff online. So that was a really cool book too. The first collection of criticism by no, the first <laughs> collection of writing by a living female rock critic, Jessica Hopper, and Ellen
3: Willis. Yeah, that one. Shout out. Really good. Yeah, it's too bad that it has to have this like such like big booming title right. that and it's true. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah
1: totally off topic i thought that was about the dillinger escape plan when i first saw the side of it i'm like oh i kind of recognize cool. no it's not i
3: can't claim to be that well versed in the dillinger escape plan I've, group
1: i don't know a ton about them but i really recognize like i really have a fascination with like logos and stuff with bands yeah and the way they brand themselves and yeah. just the side of the book i'm like oh
4: that kind of no it's not <laughs> but it looks like
0: it. yeah Drew, did you have any titles left? Uh,
4: Yeah, so I wanted to do the exact inverse of Keith Richards' life, which (laughs) I think is (laughs) Tegan and Sarah's high school. And in the biography section, you're going to find this under the last name Quinn, which is their last name, Um, not under Tegan and Sarah. Um, But, and we talked about all these amazing covers and art. The the cover of high school is a reflective silver um, uh, substance that's mirror-like, and it it's kind of like, now we're going to gaze into the depths of of, our, of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it only covers 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. <laughs> it only it alternates chapters between, between the two performers. Well, that's amazing. It's I about like how they figured out that they were musicians <laughs> because they didn't know in 10th grade. And by the end of 12th grade, they had a recording contract. <laughs> They're
2: out Crazy. in
4: rural industrial Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. They're not part of any big scene. They just have creative impulses, which they're not at first coordinating with each other. They're both independently writing lyrics, trying Mm -hmm. out their stepfather's guitar, trying to work Mm -hmm. things out. So much teen (laughs) angst, so much thwarted love, so much hiding your true self and having to let it out somehow. But you can't tell any other human, so you've got to let it out through your art yeah so where does art come from it comes from everywhere all the time and everyone right so this is a very specific like genesis point Mm -hmm. of a specific type of of well you know many types of indie pop then some rock then some electro pop then back Mm to more indie sounds and uh so this came out in 2019 and then uh like six months after it came out they released an album called hey I'm just like you, um, which is basically the songs they wrote in high school. And it also includes some of their demos. And we also have that CD. So you can get the awesome. full genesis of, of this duo. I love that.
3: We do have a number of selections that have a, a correlative between mm-hmm. the, the CD, physical CDs and the the music books. Mm-hmm. So you can get the whole immersive experience of like, the Deluxe edition of David Bowie, uh, like it's like a several of his albums, mm-hmm. and there's like a Jethro Tull. There's yeah. uh, I wish I could think of an example that wasn't someone from the 70s, <laughs> but yes, so that's like a, a cool library experience. You can get the bundle deal, nice. yeah.
1: I think we have one for Revolver, that one was really there cool, you go. and then there was one on the history of um, Shoegaze, which was really interesting. Yeah. Oh,
3: yes. Huh. Okay, I do have a Tegan and Sarah story that I feel obliged to share. Yeah, The year's 2008. (laughs) I'm living in Chicago working at a vegan vegetarian restaurant called (laughs) The Handlebar who comes in when they're stopping in Chicago on their tour, but Tegan and Sarah and me and my friend are sort of like giggling and geeking out and wanting to like say something to him, but not knowing what to do and like wanting to be cool mm-hmm. and reserved. So I can now say that I bust the tables of Tegan and Sarah's <laughs>
0: band. Have we, uh, has anyone else here had some encounters with famous rock people?
1: Um, I've met the guys from Mastodon a couple of times. They're nice. really chill.
0: <laughs>
3: nice. Drew?
1: No.
0: <laughs>
3: okay, so when I worked at John King Books downtown, Jack White came in a couple of times and he is built like a linebacker. He's huge. Yep. And I remember like being like, hey, can I help you with anything? And, <laughs> and him being like, no, I'm fine. And then if you've ever been to John King books, it's oftentimes very dark and dreary mm-hmm. and they're not very well lit. And I just see him like coming at me from across the <laughs> oh, aisle. No. It's like a big imposing figure. And he's like, do you have any Albert Kahn books? I was like, yeah, i am show And I was like, um, yeah, <laughs> it. I was like oh, it's just like sort of a basic one. I don't know if you'll really like it. And he was like, yeah, this is good. And I kind of like sweated and walked away.
0: <laughs> I was hanging out at the Magic Stick uh, when Meg White was DJing and she played my favorite Pavement song, which frankly was a deep cut. And I was so excited about it that I wanted to go tell her Amazing. and the cooler, older extra crispy rock dudes i was hanging out with at the time saying <laughs> said you should go buy a drink instead and i did and we had a shot of uh whiskey together Ooh. nice wow. um i also once hugged jeff Tweedy uh,
2: <laughs>
0: okay i want to talk about a book that we don't own yet and it's okay if you don't want to get it or not pietro okay but it's no in pressure. tln for anyone no who has a ferndale library card it is a book that i completely absorbed i read every single word of it It's called Last Night, a DJ Saved My Life. Oh, cool. And that is a reference to uh, a song by this group called In Deep, if you need that reference. It's the only hit they ever had. It was an electronic (laughs) dance group in the 80s. This is a book that is centered around the turntables, Mm -hmm. but winds up telling a much bigger story. It starts off with how the blues and R&B informed reggae how reggae then informs hip-hop, mm-hmm. how hip-hop then informs disco, how disco then informs techno, and then how techno informs house. And oh, you just really go on this beautiful yeah. ride from 1960 to 1990. And what's kind of almost always there? Those turntables. Mm-hmm. Man, such a good book what, uh, by, did, by Bill Brewster.
3: When did it come out? Uh, like contemporary-er? No-ish. Okay. Okay. This was probably the early 2000s. Okay. Early 2000s. I kind of I feel like we might have had a copy of that at some point and it went.
0: Yes. In fact, <laughs> you also had a copy once of. Wait, no, I didn't have it here on my list. No, I didn't write it down. Uh, there was this really cheese ball book. It, well, it had a cheese ball cover and a cheese ball title. Yeah. It was called Rockin' in Time. <laughs>
1: It sounds like that, you know, CD set that you're going to get from the late night television commercials,
2: (laughs) a
0: social history of rock and roll. And (laughs) if you get past that, if you get past the cover and you get past the title, um, it's actually a very good book. It's by uh, David's uh, man. It's just like this illustrator. uh,
2: Zotmarie.
3: David Zotmarie. Anyway. Speaking of watching too much TV from the beginning of this conversation, yeah. does anyone remember seeing those, like, as-seen-on-TV collections? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I'd be sitting there, like, trying to scribble down the song names oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. I could download them on...
1: And you had to Snaps buy it from the commercial, it. otherwise you didn't get the full <laughs> list of tracks, yeah. and so even if you went and found it in the stores, you were super disappointed. <laughs>
0: does anyone have uh, honorable mentions or any books left that we didn't talk about? Um... Because I'll just run through my list of eight more. Yeah,
3: in terms of books that are checked out, there was a, <laughs> a, there's two newer books that um, were recently added to the collection. One's called uh, Hit Girls by Jen B. Larson. Ooh. And it dispels the notion that punk was a boys club. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I thought was cool about it is it's broken down by region, which I thought oh, was an interesting way cool. of um, showing it. And then there's a book called But Will You Love Me Tomorrow by Laura Flam. And this is an oral history of girl groups. Uh, so that's a cool thing. It seems like there's, again, sort of a tie-in to that. Is it 20 feet from stardom, 50 feet from stardom? Yes. 10 feet from stardom? yeah. And
0: another great book about the wrecking crew of Los Angeles in the yeah. 1960s that ties into that, too. Mm. For sure. I think it's just called The Wrecking Crew. That's
3: yes. Called. I remember seeing that at the main art, Let's All Cry, Wah, Wah, yeah, and um, Be sad. sad about the main art being gone. <laughs> How about you, Judy? Did you have anything else?
4: I have a book that's in process right now that will be out on the shelves next week, and it's, it's Boy George's new autobiography. Ah, yes. so. oh. Boy George wrote an autobiography when he was 30, and now he's written one at 62 or some mm-hmm. such, and they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both still have some incredible stories, and if you want to talk about a fun picture section, there's a, <laughs> a picture. I did not know this, but uh, Boy George was on an episode of The A-Team. Um, I have no idea. Yes, when you're like, okay, add that <laughs> to the lookup list. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you've ever wondered, uh, you know, what Mr. T and Boy George okay. have in Okay, crazy. And then also <laughs> there was um, a a never um, shown commercial for Suntory whiskey that uh, he filmed the adver- advertisement for in or the commercial for in Death Valley, mm. and it was shot as a science fiction film with a giant. A rabbit character, a pig-faced character, and a bear, (laughs) and he's riding a camel in the most amazing caftan. (laughs) So, anyways, it shows real growth and maturity as a human, but it also is just full of, like, wow, how many of these tidbits do
1: you
2: have in your history? (laughs)
3: Amazing. There's
4: so much left to
1: add. I mean, um, isn't he on uh, Broadway right now? He's touring with Moulin Rouge, I think. He was. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: Liz, any books that we didn't cover yet?
1: Um, the one that I have not got a chance to crack open to, I think it is just called Punk. The name of the author escapes me at the moment. I had it back at the desk. It yeah. seems to be, yeah, that one looked really interesting, kind of the whole history. I am, I'm very curious to get into that one. Sure. I swear our music section is just so good. It's going to take oh, me yeah. forever yes. to get through it, but I'm <laughs> excited to try.
0: I have... Uh... One and then and then a handful that are all connected. But there's a book by Jonathan Cott called Days That I'll Remember, Spending Time mm. with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Oh, cool. Interesting. And for me, his claim to fame is he got to spend a lot of time, as the book implies, in John's apartment and with mm. Yoko, uh up to a matter of mere days before his death. Oh man. So wow. everything that the good chunk of his last recorded interviews are with this guy, Jonathan Cot.
3: Mm. Wow.
0: And he also was a great, music a critist, critic and, and essay writer. He had a book called Back to the Shadow, Back to a Shadow in the Night, Ooh. which is unfortunately obscure and hard to find and probably cost $70 uh, if you try to find it now. Sure. But we do own Days That I'll Remember and we circulate it here in the Ferndale Library. Oh, excellent. And that's very surreal because Jonathan Cott is the kind of journalist who was able to catch John Lennon saying things like, I was just in a discotheque the other day and I heard the song Rock Lobster. I thought it was great. <laughs> and my head kind of exploded because just to imagine a world where John Lennon was hanging out in a room listening to the B-52s, I'm like,
3: oh, yeah, that there was that brief little overlap. Yeah. He had the B-52s in his jukebox at home. Uh, and yeah. He was saying that he felt like they were copying Yoko and oh, then, like, okay. Was ahead of her time. Yeah. yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, And then just a shout out to
0: our biography section. Mm-hmm. Um, Girl in a Band with Kim Gordon from Excellent. Sonic Youth. Oh, very cool. Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, Carrie Brownstein. For sure. And Unknown Pleasures from the bassist of Joy Division, Peter Hook. Ooh. We
3: own all three. Very so. cool. cool. I feel like he was just about to be in town. was and
0: came and was awesome and then left
3: does he usually play at the magic bag
0: i believe he was at probably the state theater or the majestic something Mm. bigger
3: yeah that would make sense
0: that's everything i have can i ask you a question jeff Ooh, except for the sound and the fury uh which was again just a collection (laughs) this isn't even like credited to an author it's just Uh, music
3: articles oh cool nice yeah what's your question do you remember um, what shot of alcohol you had with Meg White? Oh, yeah. Yes, it was um, Jameson. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I have also taken a shot with Meg White. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> also, Jameson. That's amazing. She was drinking Bud Light yep. and smoking Marlboros, Yeah. I think. It wasn't my choice. That's yeah. what she chose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's so when she was married to uh, Fred Sonic Smith's son, Jackson, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my friend called me, he's like, you have to come up here now.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: But we just kind of hung out with them and she talked about how she didn't like going to certain bars mm-hmm. because people from high school recognized her. <laughs> but yeah, that the bar we were at, which I don't want to blow up, sure, mm-hmm. uh, that she, it was just like a, a divey spot and That's she really could cool. drink her Bud Light and take shots at Jameson.
0: I got to uh, sit next to and um, share something with uh, John Sinclair. Fu was nice. kind of an icon. He helped form and manage the MC5. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah,
0: And then became a kind of a jazz musician and poet cool. with a silver goatee. And <laughs> uh, he was hanging out at the what is now spread art, mm-hmm. but was the previously Cade? known as the Contemporary Art Institute yeah. of Detroit. <laughs> and he was rambling about rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> Does he, he live around here? I think so. And there was like five other people at the table, and he was talking to them. But then suddenly, in the middle of his rant, he turns to me and he locks eyes with me, <laughs> and he's like, "Rock and roll, man!" <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's amazing. And you were like,
0: "Is like a zombie."
3: <laughs> okay,
0: it'll just keep going and then he turned back to the rest (laughs) of the people, and I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Wow. That's
1: that's a fantastic And so this
0: whole thing of like, when people say, oh, Rock is dead. Yeah, technically sure it is, but it's a zombie. It's gonna keep
3: walking. It's Mm -hmm. always been dead, man. Exactly, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that he came into John King books north, and I didn't recognize Mm. who he was, but he came up and he's like, what are you playing, man? He's like, this sounds like a song from the 60s that you'd be in the back of a truck smoking a joint to. (laughs) And afterwards, I was like, that was totally John Sinclair, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> a thing he probably says at every function he goes to ever.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, uh, folks, um, check out Books That Rock. Go to your library, go to the 780s. And I think we got a great roundup of recommendations. Thank you all for being here today.
2: Thank you for Thank having Thank you, us. Jeff.
0: Thanks, folks at home, for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Shout out to John Duffy, who makes music for our podcast with a synthesizer, but he owns a guitar and he can rock. Uh, and uh how else am I going to wrap this up by saying um rock on. Pietro, Liz Drew, will rock. Do. On. Rock. Pietro, are you
2: ready to rock?
0: I guess.
1: <laughs> Be excellent to each other.
0: Oh yeah. That's You know, folks, we are recording this in February, and it was recently just the 35th anniversary of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And there's no better quote. To end that on, be excellent to each other. All right, everybody.